Hello, I'm Chantel from the Lady Justice True Crime Podcast. You're listening to Apple for the Teacher Podcast, which tells true crime stories in schools. So join Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host, as she presents the bad apples within the school system. You will hear school stories that are tragic, shocking, unbelievable and outright bizarre. Welcome everyone to the podcast. My name is Anna Thomas and this is episode number 66. Now today I have a story for you which is another really, really sad story. And yes, I know it's a true crime podcast, so we're going to have sad stories. And I really need to apologise because I really haven't been telling very many good apple stories lately. I just can't seem to find good apple stories. So I'll keep looking, but yes, as I said, it's a very sad one today, so be ready for some tears. I'd like to start today by talking about one of my favourite podcasts, which has had a makeover and now has a new name. You might be familiar with it. It's called Beyond Bizarre True Crime, but now it's just called True. It's hosted by Eric, and the stories now will go beyond just true crime. Eric's production is absolutely top-notch, unlike mine. He knows exactly what he's doing. And what I like is that he has the ability to find really interesting stories, not well-known, so you always listen to something fresh. After a small break, he now has new episodes, and even better, they will be weekly. But you can still access the older episodes under the previous name. We all have our go-to podcasts that we just love and never miss, and this is definitely one of my faves. His production quality is what I aspire to, yeah, probably just in my dreams. So have a listen to the trailer for True. Most pranks are conceived and executed for the sole purpose of trying to be funny and are not meant to cause damage or injury. But what if a prank is intended to be harmful? And what if you recruited some random people who thought they were starring in a reality show to carry it out? That's exactly what happened to a couple of people in 2017. It was all fun and games until they unwittingly assassinated a world figure. The new details in that bizarre assassination of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's half-brother, which played out, as you can see, on surveillance cameras. We're now hearing that one of the female suspects was paid just $90 to help carry out this attack. Ah, maple syrup. And with a value over 10 times that of crude oil, the market has become highly regulated. So when a group of thieves decided to steal some sweet liquid gold from a storage warehouse in Quebec, Canada, they weren't about to stop at a couple of bottles or cases. Far from it. This would go down as one of the most lucrative and perhaps most unusual robberies in Canadian history. Every high-value product has a black market. The black market of maple syrup. On Saturday, December 13, 2014, a man walked through the front door of a bank near San Francisco's Union Square. He walked up to the teller station and passed a note demanding money. This scene would have been a typical bank robbery had it not been for the fact that the man was dressed as Santa Claus. The six-foot-tall imposter then quickly walked out of the bank and straight into a parade of SantaCon partiers. 
like a grain of sand on a beach, the Santa Claus bank robber disappeared into an ocean of red velvet. A bad Santa has robbed a bank in San Francisco, and it's how he got away that's making it so difficult to catch him. It's turned into a Where's Waldo game for police. Welcome to True. See what I mean? It's just that level above, isn't it? You can just tell there's a lot of time and effort and expertise that goes into his podcasts. So I highly recommend this one. So go out and have a listen. But before we get started, let's say hello to some of our Facebook group members. Hello to Holly Maserotti, Sean Homerick, Annie Lou Lucy, Pamela Novak, Annie Shelmi Abedin, Tylia Battle, Ayapan Krishnan and Lisa Myatt. And I would also like to share with you this absolutely wonderful review that someone did of the podcast. It says, superb host and podcast. Everything about this podcast and the host, Anna, is absolutely perfect in every aspect. Audio production, research, script, voice. Anna, as a host, speaks with such clarity and calm as she weaves the details of each victim's story. A great voice, especially for true crime. Oh my goodness. Whoever this person is, you are such a sweetheart. All it says is creative arts director. So creative arts director. I just can't believe that I just can't believe that someone would say something about my podcast. If you people only knew how this podcast started, it just started not so seriously at all. It was just a hobby, something fun. I just wanted to see if I could do it because I had listened to a lot of podcasts and I really admired the whole creative um, aspect of how you put it together. And I just thought, mm, well, I wonder if I could do that. But I had not a clue about any single thing about how to do the podcast. And I didn't even think that anyone would even listen to it. So it wasn't even serious. And the fact that I know myself and I'm not an out there person, I don't want to make a spectacle of myself. And this is something that I remember back to my school days on my report cards that teachers would write things like, she is a quiet achiever. And this is how I've always been. Even the fact that I put this podcast together really surprises me that I did it. And all I would say to anyone is try something new, learn something new, because you just never know. I had no idea that I could do this, that people would want to listen, and certainly didn't think that people were going to say something as lovely as that person just said. So try something new. You never know. You could be good at it. So thank you very much to this person. You have totally made my day, and my check to you is in the mail. <laughs> Okay, let's go on. All right, so today we are going to travel to the country of Moldova, one of those countries which I'm sure you don't know anything about, just like I didn't really know anything about. So Moldova, which is in Europe. Moldova declared its independence from the Soviet Union 26 years ago and went without a president for three years after a political deadlock. Moldova is in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the largest wine cellar in the world. It holds 2 million bottles of wine 
and is stored in 55 kilometres of underground galleries. Wine from Moldova is banned in Russia, not due to its poor quality, but because of a diplomatic dispute. Before the ban, 90% of wine from Moldova was exported to Russia. Despite the ban, Moldova remains one of the largest wine-producing countries in the world, and due to this love of wine, it's the second largest drinker of alcohol in the world. And finally, Moldova is also the least visited and the poorest country in Europe, but it has a faster internet than America, Norway, and 150 other countries. Isn't that amazing? And this is something that I wonder about Australia too, because I know our internet is not that good comparing it to the rest of the world. So it's amazing that a country like Moldova is heaps better than us. Yes, interesting, isn't it? All right, so let's preview the story today. It's called Brazilian Beauty. Beatrice went to her school graduation ceremony. What happened? The incident at the centre of this story happened in the South American country of Brazil in 2015. In the northeastern part of Brazil, there is a small city called Petrolina. A private Catholic school in the city was having its end-of-year Christmas celebrations and graduation ceremony, and many students and their families were gathered at the school for the special evening. It was estimated that about 2,500 people were at the ceremony, which took place in the sports gym. The school had been in operation for 90 years and was the largest school in the area. There were about 200 classrooms and the total area was about 20,000 square metres. So an absolutely huge school compared to Australian standards. One of the families were celebrating the graduation of their daughter. Lucia Motta and Sandra Rommelton had two girls. One was graduating her third year of high school and their other daughter was seven-year-old Beatrice. Sandra worked at the school as an English teacher. At some point during the celebrations, Beatrice was thirsty and asked to go and get a drink. There were drinking fountains in the foyer of the gym and this is where she went. But her mother, Lucia, noticed that her daughter seemed to be taking a long time and went to look for her. When she couldn't find her, she told her husband and they went looking together. But after quite a while of not being able to locate her, her father went onto the stage and used the microphone to call for his daughter. Here is what he said. Beatrice, my daughter, wherever you are, come find us. We are looking for you and we are worried. Beatrice, where are you? Hey, Bea, everyone is looking for you, my love. She is dressed like me here with her sister's face. And here he shows the white T-shirt that he's wearing, which has a photo of his oldest daughter who is graduating. And he goes on to say, she is seven years old and she was playing with a classmate. I already looked everywhere you can imagine here in the school and I still haven't found my daughter. I'm desperate. After his plea, more people then started looking for her, and eventually the proceedings stopped and everyone helped in the search. After about an hour of searching, little Beatrice was found, but it was not the outcome that everyone had hoped for. Her lifeless body was found in a sports storage room. 
She had been stabbed 42 times. Oh, poor little girl. The school had a number of security cameras, and after viewing the footage, the police were able to establish the following timeline. The cameras show the event starting at 6.30, with people entering the gym. Beatrice is first seen at 7.10, sitting next to her father. At 8.55, students start receiving their diplomas. At 9.02, Beatrice goes and sits next to her mother. Then she leaves and returns two minutes later. A few minutes later, she asks her mother for a drink, and this is the last time the camera sees her, which is at 10.08pm. The camera footage is on YouTube, and you can see video of her in the various places in the gym, and it's so distressing to watch, as you know what's going to happen to her. And then you see her father on stage calling for her. It's just so heartbreaking that very soon he is going to find his girl brutally murdered. And there are so many photos of her. And she was such a gorgeous little girl. Her middle name was Angelica and she really looked like an angel. So now let's get into the police investigation. The knife used to kill Beatrice was still lodged in her body and DNA was found on the knife. The DNA of a second person was also found under her fingernails, leading the police to believe that the crime had been committed by two individuals. Where she had been found had been the location of another gymnasium that had been damaged in a fire. It had been deliberately set alight by former students from the school. The storeroom where Beatrice was found was in the gymnasium, and in the photos you can clearly see that the room has fire damage. The gymnasium had been in a part of the school quite away from where the celebrations had taken place. This led police to believe that the perpetrators had knowledge of the school. They also found out that 10 days earlier, school keys had gone missing, which would give someone access to the internal and external gates. As already mentioned, the school had a number of security cameras. However, the area where she was found didn't have cameras as they had been destroyed in the fire. The police believe that she had been killed in a different location and that she was then moved and left in the storeroom. They therefore concluded that the perpetrators knew their way around the school and that they knew there wouldn't be any cameras in the gym, that they knew about the storeroom and then they knew how to escape without detection. Here is a quote from the police. The way in which the crime occurred points to forethought. The child was not killed in the place that she was found. She was killed in another place, transported, placed in that warehouse, in a short time. It is almost impossible for a person to decide to commit a crime at that moment. He would have to use a lot of magic, practically, to commit this alone. Deciding at that moment to do this, and nobody seeing anything. This leads us to believe that there was a premeditation. Certainly, whoever did this had access to information or had already been there several times because the place is difficult to access. So either they had to have information from a second person or they know what the place is like. The police also had further evidence that Beatrice had not been killed where she was found because the room was filled with soot and burnt objects, but no soot had been found on her body, leading them to believe that 
she hadn't been dragged into the room. They said the execution of the crime took place in another location of the school. The child was transported and thrown into the warehouse behind the locker. This is a conclusion that the scientific police reached. This raises questions. How all this logistics happened confirms the likelihood that more than one person participated. The injuries produced the location of the girl and the blood pattern that are incompatible in situations using a knife. In 99.99% of cases in this type of action, we should find another type of scene. Technically, we should find splashes and drips from the knife itself. We use material known as luminol, forensic light, and we use other equipment. Beatrice was most likely placed there. If we are to observe the scene completely, it is a place that can hide the body and allow time for things to come back. The fact that the body was there leads to the possibility of the involvement of someone who knew the place. Whoever did this had access to information or had already been there several times. Someone had to know this room, to enter it, to know that it had a cupboard, that it could hide a body, so someone knew it. Whoever put Beatrice here was not bloody because he left no blood on any door, on any path, and especially in the corridor that gives access to the gate, which is typical of actions of this type, of dropping blood. The path he took, there was no trace of blood. This makes it very complex because it was easier to execute the victim there. We can work with agents who execute and agents who transport the girl. Whoever executed the child may have changed clothes. Now, what I think about here when they say this is, well, if she was killed somewhere else and then taken to this storeroom, wouldn't her blood then be somewhere on a path somewhere? How could they kill her so brutally and for there not to be any of her blood that would be anywhere? So to me, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to make sense. As time progressed, with no breakthroughs in the case, the family grew increasingly critical of the police investigation. Her father said, It is unacceptable for so long and to have no answer to us. It is okay that the investigations take place in secrecy. They have the police secret. But for the father and a mother who does not understand what happened to the daughter, it is desperate. We are in incalculable anguish. The police in Pernambuco do not owe us a favour. They have an obligation to resolve this case. Whatever it is, it hurts whoever it hurts, whatever the cost. We want that answer for yesterday. A delegate asked us for patience. We gave the police a vote of confidence, but it's now ending. Guys, someone saw something. It is impossible that none of those 3,000 people did not see something. I participated in all my children's celebrations at school. That drinking fountain is not something hidden. It is extremely busy, especially for children. Next to the water fountain, there is a park. There is a passage. The place chosen was not by chance. It was a reason. And we have an obligation to question the authorities for answers. He also makes mention of the fact that the crime scene had not been preserved. He said, if the school had been banned at the first moment, if the crime scene had been preserved, it would have been different. Because what happened there? 
was that at that time it happened, everyone who was present, the sisters, the coordinators, the parents of students and students left, the street people who entered, they polluted the crime scene, police officers unprepared, they didn't interrogate anyone. If the school had been banned, if we had the support of the institution, we would be on another path. As time progressed with no leads, there were various protests held with people saying the following. It is a crime that happened here in Petrolina because it was inside a traditional school. It was a child who has no defence and it was during a party where there were hundreds of people. It is not possible that there is no suspect, that there is no light. We are blind without knowing. This revolts any father, any mother of Petrolina. Do we have all the scientific apparatus necessary to solve this crime? Or will it be necessary to bring it from the capital or even from the federal government? There is a psychopath on the loose. And what bothers us most is impunity. The school year will start soon. We will take the children to school, but we will not have peace. We are suffering inside because we do not know who committed the crime. It is inexplicable that this happened inside a school, mainly because it was a party that had a password. We know that it is a school that has security. So we ask the police to try their best to resolve this case. It is not possible that they have not seen a stranger enter. Someone must have been seen. We want you to solve it. The pain that Beatrice's parents are feeling, no one can even imagine. So when it was just mentioned about the security, on the night there were four security guards who had been working. Two had been on the main entrance. One was inside the gym and there was another one at the front door. After some months of agony for the family, finally there appeared to be some hope in the case. Following their investigations and interviews of people at the school, the police made an announcement that they had five suspects in the murder of Beatrice, four men and one woman. It was found that these people either lied or gave contradictory statements to the police. One of the men is seen in the official video footage of the event and to the police he appears to be visibly nervous. Another man had denied being in the area where the drinking fountain was, but the footage showed that he had been there. A third man, who was a security guard, said that he had not been working on the graduation night, but witnesses say they saw him there. Another man was seen entering an empty room where he stayed until around 1.40am. Well, isn't that strange? It's thought that he might have been an accomplice. A woman was also seen on the footage heading towards the area where Beatrice was found. Here is the police statement about the suspects. They are characters that we prefer not to identify initially, but they are people inside the school. I would like to make a reservation that it is one thing for an employee to have participated or he knew or is afraid to say what he knows. One thing is for the employee to be involved with the situation. The school is another thing. But these characters are people who work at the school. After the police revealed the five suspects, Beatrice's father made the following statement. What surprises us is that the people who should be working 
on our security to protect the people at the event were the ones who articulated and caused this crime. These people facilitated the work of an executor, but there are also people who thought and planned this. We are afraid of what can happen. Not only us, but everyone was shocked that a crime so mysterious that had happened in such a brutal way has the involvement of hired characters. But knowing that people are lying and are obstructing the investigations makes us very shocked. We vehemently repudiate this type of situation. These people at the school are professionals and have many renowned people in the region. Good people who work in a pleasant way. But we were very saddened to know that there are people who got together to contribute in some way to make this brutality happen. Then another four months had passed without any further progress in the case. Then the investigators held a press conference announcing that they had interviewed a number of witnesses who reported seeing a man with a green shirt near the drinking fountains. He had allegedly approached some children, asking them to help him move a table. The witnesses described the man and the police drew a composite sketch which was released to the public. The police investigator made the following statement. We believe that a certain logistic was required for this crime. We had, obviously, the person who executes the crime, which we believe to be the person in the composite sketch. But this executor certainly had the help of lookouts, of accomplices, of co-executors. It would be nearly impossible for this perpetrator to have committed this murder alone and then walked out of the crime scene leaving no trace behind without anyone seeing anything even when the school had a lot of security personnel. There were only two ways in and out of the school, one for the employees and one for the public, and no one saw anything. It is because of this that we believe in this theory. The sketch was broadcast on television, but it failed to bring any leads on the identity of the man. Then another year passed and Beatrice's parents had done countless interviews and television appearances, but their daughter's case was still unsolved. And then finally, some new video footage surfaced, which looked very promising. Video of the street near the school showed a man in a green shirt walking along the road. For two hours, he is seen by multiple cameras walking the streets near the school. He is seen talking on his cell phone and then appears to pick something up from the ground and puts it in his sock. Then he enters the school at 9.38pm. Beatrice was last seen at 10.08pm. So this is 30 minutes after he entered the school. The police theory is that he had previously hidden a knife somewhere on the street curb and then retrieved it after getting the go-ahead by an accomplice inside the school. Now, I have seen this footage, and I will put it into our Facebook group. It is so chilling to watch, to think that this man could possibly be the person who murdered that gorgeous girl. But there were so many people around, even though it was after 9pm at night. There were cars and there were motorbikes driving along the roads. Many people passed him. The police were able to zoom in on the man 
and I've seen an image of him and it's a very good photo. I'm convinced that if I knew this particular person that I could tell that it was them. However, the photo being put out into the public didn't help to find the suspect. Then, more than three years after her death, a computer technician who worked at the school came under suspicion for allegedly erasing images from the security footage of the night of Beatrice's death. Here is a statement that the man made. I, Alanson Enrique, Brazilian, married, self-employed, come through this press release to exercise my right of reply and defence in the same proportion that was used to unjustly accuse me of a crime that I did not practice. Recently on blogs, radio stations, on TV Grand Rio, I was the victim of stories broadcasted by the participation and consent of family members of the girl Beatrice Motta. When speaking about me, the lady known as Lucia Motta, mother of the girl Beatrice Motta, as well as her father, Sandro Romildo Ferreira, stated that I was responsible for tampering with or suppressing images from the cameras of the school's internal circuit at the request of someone or to protect someone. They literally said that I went back to the scene of the crime and days later quietly erased images. In spite of the fact, understand the pain caused by the victim's family members because, differently from what they think, I am a human being and I also know how to put myself in the other's place. However, I can never accept that such serious and frivolous accusations can be boasted by any means, including the press, and remain silent in relation to such accusations. Well then, up to the present moment, I have remained silent, watching everything from my corner and without question, because I still believe in the rules of law and in the institutions. However, after the repercussion of the articles published by the press, I have no choice but to vigorously protest against the abusers that they are trying to practice against me. It turns out that after the absurd accusations that I would have defrauded or manipulated image data from the day that Beatrice Motta died, some clarifications need to be made. I did not erase any image from any camera. This act in front of me does not exist. I never intended and did not hinder any procedure to protect or benefit anyone. I am a professional. I never had any kind of problem inside or outside the school. According to the relatives of the girl Beatrice Motta and all society, I respect and hope that this tragic fact is clarified and the true culprits are punished. But I can no longer admit that an investigation that runs under the secrecy of justice has information leaked selectively as this configures crime of violation of functional secrecy. Finally, I clarify that I will adopt the legal measures to stop any undue accusation, including, if they insist, the civil, administrative and criminal liability of the accusers on duty. Beatrice's family then said that they believed the technician may have been paid to erase the images. Here is what her mother said. We have information that this same employee 
received a prize from the Federal Lottery. What prize is that? How lucky is that? He turns off the cameras at the school, gives escape to a cowardly and cruel murderer, and soon after he receives a prize? I want explanations. So it seems that this man suddenly received a large amount of money and he explained this by saying he had won a lottery, which of course the family doesn't believe. Now the man's lawyer maintained that the images were not erased at the school, but that it was an error by the police that had erased the images. Then about another six months later, the police ordered the arrest of the technician but he could not be located. He was then declared a fugitive. There were wanted posters put up for his capture, and then something very curious happened. A man was seen defacing the man's image on the poster. So I can see two possible reasons for doing this. Perhaps the man was disgusted that the man on the poster possibly had something to do with, had something to do with Beatrice's death, or perhaps both of these men were involved in the murder, and that's why he wanted to destroy the poster. Now, I wasn't able to find out any more about the wanted technician, so it doesn't sound like he's been found. After about three years after her death, the family had her remains exhumed and transferred to where they lived. She had been initially buried in a family cemetery, but they weren't able to visit her or take flowers. And this made me ponder, well, why hadn't they buried her in their hometown in the first place? So I'm not really sure about that. So now it's been almost five years since Beatrice's death and the case remains unsolved. Ten months ago, the family decided to start their own investigation parallel to the police. They hired a private investigator and they made this statement. In our parallel investigation, we discovered things that we would not even like to talk about. There is a certain deviation in function. We are discovering that some agents who participated in Beatrice's investigations in a certain way hindered the investigations. The police were also able to determine that luckily Beatrice hadn't been sexually assaulted. So I don't know whether that provides any consolation for the family but it does seem strange that she was murdered so brutally, yet she wasn't assaulted sexually, which is usually what happens to young children. So it, I don't know, it just, just seems very unusual, doesn't it? Which I'm, I'm glad she didn't. Now, I really find the theory of multiple people involved quite hard to explain. Why would these people hatch such a premeditated and elaborate plan to murder a random girl so brutally during such a crowded event. If these people wanted a young girl in particular, they would have had ample opportunity to take a girl from just about anywhere. But why at the school when there were so many people around? Did they think that they would go undetected because there were so many people around? Maybe that's what they thought. So it seems that the police are implying that people who were in the school stole the keys and planned to commit the crime that night. I really can't understand this, but then again, I don't have a criminal mind. It was also established that a man approached two other girls, but they had run away, and then he targeted Beatrice. 
Her father was a teacher at the school, which could have provided a motive, but the police seemed to believe that it was just totally random. So did these people just have a sadistic interest to murder a random young girl? The fact that the man in the green shirt was on his phone before entering the school may not have been related to the murder at all. It could have been just totally innocent. They also said that he picked up a knife from somewhere on the curb. But why would you do that? He was obviously able to conceal the knife. Perhaps he had it on him the entire time that he was seen on the footage. And then perhaps he just bent down, but it had nothing to do with picking up the knife. The spot where he was bending down is next to a tree on the edge of a curb. And there is also a car parked there. So he is bending over behind the car, so nobody really could have seen him, but it was just because of the camera angle that you could see him. So it does look a bit odd. He is doing something, and then you see something shiny flashing, which seems to indicate that maybe it was a metal knife. The man then walks the streets for a few hours, going along the same streets multiple times. And yes, it does look strange. And the fact that she was stabbed so many times, this type of crime usually is committed by someone who knows the person, and often they are crimes of passion between couples. It's much more of an intimate crime that someone just hates the person so much that they attack them just so relentlessly. So, so many questions in this case, but poor, poor, beautiful girl, when you see the photos of her, It just, life is just so cruel. Why did this have to happen to this poor little girl? And this story resonates with me so much as a teacher. Every school has events like this during the evenings, whether it be graduations, as her school did, school discos, parent interview nights. And during these events, it's dark and there are children everywhere. It's beyond comprehension that someone would take the opportunity to do this to a child, but yet it happened. So, of course, this is another case that I'm going to be monitoring. And to finish, I'd like to leave you with a quote from Beatrice's mother. Every morning I wake up and feel that impact of pain and reality. Clarifying a case like this would bring us little comfort, but it will never bring beer back. But it will give us more tranquility. It is as if something is taking all my strength and all my feelings out of me. And here now is some audio of her mother, which is in Portuguese. So unless you're Portuguese, you won't understand it. But I thought I would just like for you to listen to her voice. So take a listen. Eu não saí ainda do dia 10 de dezembro. Eu sofro todos os dias. Eu procuro minha filha na minha cama todos os dias e não encontro. Eu não tenho mais vida. Por isso que eu continuo em pé, em luta, por justiça, porque eu devo isso à minha filha. Eu sou mãe de Beatriz e eu vou lutar por justiça, enquanto me houver vida. Now, I will put all the videos in the Facebook group for you to see, but if you want to do a search for yourself, her name is Beatrice Motta, and I'll spell that for you, B-E-A-T-R-I-Z-M-O-T. A. So now let's have a preview of the next episode. It's called Eye of the Storm. The students were on the school bus on their way to school. What happened? 
And to end this episode, I will leave you with this quote from the famous Greek philosopher Aristotle. Educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.